Good morning. Our scripture is about the Good Samaritan. It comes from the 10th chapter of Luke, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Won't you please pray with me for just a moment, please? Oh, Father, we want your word to speak truth to our hearts. And we want to live out that truth in our lives. So we open our hearts to you now. Quicken our minds. Enliven our spirits. Give us a desire to do as your word teaches. So we might become more like our Savior. In his name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. So I see them at busy traffic intersections in and around Fredericksburg. My guess is you see them too. Kind of scruffy looking people in old clothing. Typically holding cardboard signs with handwriting. It's sometimes hard to read. But whatever the sign says, it's always basically the same message. Need help? Please give. Trying to support my family. And it's obvious that the person holding the sign wants you to give money. In fact, not long ago, I was on Route 3 uh, going to Spotsylvania Mall. Actually, I was going to Costco to do some grocery shopping. And, you know, that, that light where you have to turn left into the mall uh, was kind of backed up. And so you had to wait a couple of different light cycles to get through it. And uh, while I was waiting in, in line with the traffic there, uh, there was one of those scruffy-looking people with the sign walking down the median. And, and because I had a couple light cycles to go through, I, I had an opportunity to observe how people responded to this guy. And people fell into one of two categories, typically. Some folks would ignore him. They'd look straight ahead, act either like they didn't see him or didn't want to see him. I don't know. 
And then others saw them coming and they'd roll down their window and they'd hold out their hand. They'd have a bill or some change and they'd put it in a little red solo cup that he had there. And, uh, you know, he'd say, thank you, God bless you. And so uh, it seemed like there were two categories of people. Those who would give and those who would choose not to give. And if you're wondering which category I'm in, I'm not going to tell you. But about an hour later, when I was coming out of Costco and driving by that same intersection there, he was still there, and I thought about him, and I thought about this story that Jesus told. The story of today's scripture lesson, the story of the Good Samaritan. And I began to wonder, how do you help somebody like that? Would it be helping him to put some money in his cup? Or would it be enabling his dysfunction and keeping him in perpetual need? That's part of the question we're going to wrestle with today as we look at the story of Jesus. So welcome back to our teaching series on the stories of Jesus. And in this series, we're looking at the stories Jesus told. They're called parables. And like all of the stories Jesus told, they have a point. They have a message. They have a meaning that we're supposed to grasp and then translate into applying into our lives in response to the truth of the story. And today we're going to look at one of the most famous stories Jesus ever told, the story of the Good Samaritan. In fact, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't even read the Bible, most people are familiar with this story. We even use the phrase Good Samaritan to describe somebody who goes out of their way to help somebody in need and in distress. It's a common part of our culture. And we appreciate the heartwarming story that Jesus tells about the the Good Samaritan helping the man. and, And it makes us feel good to think about ourselves in in that way to to help other people. But exactly how do we go about helping other people? Well, first, as we launch into this, let's let's remind ourselves of the basic movement of the story. It it starts out Jesus telling about a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, down the the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's about a 17-mile stretch of road. Actually, in Jesus' day, it would have been uh, sort of a path through the mountains. I was actually on that road a couple of years ago in an air-conditioned bus. It's now a uh, four-lane divided highway, and uh, it's very well maintained. But in Jesus' day, it wouldn't have been that way. And the guy's walking down this road, and uh, robbers attack him, beat him up, take all his stuff, leave him bloody, bruised, naked, half dead in, the, in a ditch by the side of the road. That's the scenario. And then a priest comes by. Now, in, in the Hebrew culture of that day, when Jesus is telling the story, a priest is, is a very important person. In fact, a, a priest uh, works in Jerusalem in the temple, making sure all the sacrifices are made and the, the, all the, the temple is run well and the worship is done according to the law of Moses. A priest would have been very well educated, very well paid, and very well respected in that culture. And the priest comes, comes walking by, sees this guy in the ditch, and decides to go to the other side of the road and walk right around him. Pretend he's not even there. Pretend he doesn't even see him. In fact, he probably picks up his pace a little bit as he's walking. A few minutes later, a Levite comes by. Now, a Levite is also very important in that culture, kind of just beneath the priest and the the totem pole. He would have also been well-educated, well-respected, well-paid. The Levite is sort of the assistant to the priest in the temple. Very, very religious, very hardworking, good man. And the Levite does the same thing the priest does. Walks around, avoids this guy. And then as Jesus tells the story, he says, then a Samaritan comes along. Now, when we hear that word Samaritan, 
We think, oh, isn't that great? Some nice, kind-hearted person. When Jesus' original audience heard Samaritan, they would have gotten their panties in a bunch. They would not have liked that. They would have kind of gotten a little suspicious. Typically, when they told stories, when the Hebrew teachers told stories, the Samaritan was always the bad guy. The Samaritan was always the butt of the joke. But in this story, Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. Because you see, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. The Jews thought of Samaritans as half-breeds. And excuse that expression, but that's, how, that's the way the Jews would have referred to them. Samaritans were Jews who married Assyrians during the time of the Assyrian invasion. They, they compromised their pure ethnic heritage and intermarried with the Assyrians. And uh, so for the, the purebred Jews, a Samaritan was someone who, had, who was a traitor to the country and had sold out on his ethnic purity and was no longer a, a pure child of God. In fact, the, the Samaritans lived in a region, they're kind of segregated, lived in a region 35 miles north of Jerusalem, a region called Samaria. That's why they were called Samaritans. It was a term of derision, really, for most of the people. So the Samaritan comes by and he sees this guy in the ditch. And in the story Jesus tells, the Samaritan's the hero. He goes and he bandages up the wounds. He puts the, the, the poor guy on his donkey, takes him to an inn, Pays the innkeeper, first he spends the night, and then he pays the innkeeper two days worth of wages, two denarii, to take care of this guy for as long as it takes. And he says, I'll be coming back by in a couple weeks and I'll pay whatever difference I still owe you. An amazing story. And when Jesus' audience heard this story, they, they would have been a little uncomfortable with it. But most of us today, we love that story. It reminds us that To be religious is not enough. You also have to have compassion for people and care about their needs. That that compassion is not a sign of weakness, but it's a virtue. It's a sign of strength. The story challenges us to tear down the racial and ethnic barriers that so often divide people. And the basic meaning of the story is fairly clear, don't you think? If we truly love God, Jesus is saying, If we truly love God, we will show compassion to people in need. And that compassion will extend beyond just our immediate circle. Because you have to remember why Jesus tells this story in the first place. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. We'll take a look. You have to understand the context of the story. Jesus tells this story in response to a question in verse 25. Jesus is having Q&A time. He's had some teaching and now it's time to... Do Q&A, and and a teacher of the law, this would be an expert in the Hebrew law, raises and Jesus, i got a question for you. Uh, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus knows this guy's a teacher of the law, knows this guy already knows the the answer. So Jesus, instead of answering his question, throws it back at him and says, Hey, you're the expert in the law, you tell me. How do you inherit eternal life? And the lawyer gives the the answer that everyone would have expected. He quotes the first commandment and the, the... the, the Jews had two great commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, good for you, you answered correctly, do this and you will live. And the, the, the lawyer, the teacher of the law, he's not satisfied, he wants further definition. And this is where it gets interesting. He says, well, Jesus, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, just, just who exactly is my neighbor? And you have to understand, in that day, there was a clear answer to this, everybody knew the answer. My neighbor is the person like me. The person who is in my group. In those days, the Jews divided people into us and them. My neighbor is the us. My enemy is the them. 
My neighbor is the person who looks like me, talks like me, votes like me, eats like me. My neighbor is the person who thinks the way I think, is in my kin, in my clan, and in my country club. That's who my neighbor is. And in those days, loving your neighbor was fairly easy because you were loving people who were part of your crew. You're naturally going to love and care for them. But now Jesus messes up this category. He tosses out this definition. He says, here's your neighbor. And then he tells the story. And he's making clear, your neighbor is somebody who is in great need. In fact, when he finishes the story, if you look at the end, he looks at the the teacher of the law, and he says to him, so in that whole story, who was the neighbor? And the teacher of the law says, the man who had mercy. He couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan. Couldn't even say the word. The man who had mercy. And then Jesus says, yes, go and do likewise. Powerful story. And even today, the church is is trying to live out the truth of that story. Down through the history, it has been the church, it has been the Christians who have started hospitals and orphanages and homeless shelters and soup kitchens. All, Almost every institution designed to alleviate human suffering and need was started by the Christians and the church in response to human suffering and need as Jesus taught. And still today we try to answer that call, but it raises a question. When... Is my compassion helping somebody? Or when am I just enabling someone's destructive behavior? You know what I'm saying? I mean, when am I truly honoring Christ? And when am I just giving quick and easy to relieve myself of some guilt? When am I uh, trying to help myself feel good versus trying to actually help somebody become better than where they are? See, in, in the story Jesus told... It's, it's pretty obvious. I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. What a scenario. A guy lying in a ditch, half dead. Think about it. If you and I were, were the Samaritan in that scenario, my guess is we would have helped that guy. He's half dead. If, if somebody doesn't tend to him, he's going to die. All of us probably would, would do something to help, wouldn't we? At least we'd take out our phone and call an ambulance or something. We'd do something. It's so clear-cut in the story. But what do you do when it's a homeless guy with a cardboard sign who's not half dead in a ditch? Does that guy want a job? Does he want an education? Is he willing to put forth the effort necessary to lift himself up out of his current state? Does he have a drug or alcohol addiction that's, that's perpetuating his problem? Would I be willing to make a significant investment in his life to help him? And would he even let me? You see how tricky this gets? In the story, Jesus tells it's clear and easy. Guy's dead in a ditch. Most people you and I come across who need help, they're not dead in a ditch. What do we do? In in his book, uh, Toxic Charity, Robert Lupton points out that some charitable organizations actually do long-term harm to the very people they're trying to help. Because they're, they're based on superficial good intentions that actually hinder the more serious and involved work necessary to create systems and processes that actually lift people up out of their mess. In his book, Money, Greed, and God, Jay Richards talks about how there are some forms of government aid and some social government programs that actually rob people of their dignity by creating an unhealthy dependence and lead to a state of what's known as learned helplessness. 
Where if I'm told all the time that the reason I am in a bad place in my life is because the system is rigged against me and, and I, I don't have a chance and, and everybody's trying to keep me down. When you, when you live in that environment, you begin to see yourself as a, a victim and don't see any way out and you get despair. Now I think there's a valid point to be made in these kinds of books that point this out. I mean, giving will help me feel better, but will giving... Help a person get better. Pain, suffering, struggle, sometimes, not always, but sometimes that can be helpful and formative in a person's life. Some types of compassion are really just rescuing people and they never experience what they need to experience to become who they need to become to get out of their circumstance. Sometimes when we help, we're actually short-circuiting what God is trying to do in someone's life. I I struggle with this all the time as a pastor. People come to me with needs and problems and pains and difficulties, and I listen to their stories, and I want to rescue them. I want to help them. I want to be the hero and relieve it all. And sometimes I have to remind myself. In people's lives, sometimes learning that choices have consequences. Learning that pain can be a powerful motivator. Learning that it, it's hard but necessary to invest yourself and invest in yourself in order to lift yourself out of whatever problem you're in. It, that's an important lesson for people to learn. I mean, human problems are complex. And because of that, it's not always clear how exactly do we help? How do we make it better? But let's be clear. Even though it's complex, even though it's not always uh, easy to figure out, We cannot let a lack of certainty be an excuse for ignoring the hurts and needs of other people. Isn't that true? See, we may, it may not be wise to rescue somebody, but we still need to show compassion and figure out how to help in some way, to be a good neighbor. So here's a couple suggestions based on the story of the Good Samaritan, a couple ways we can look to be a good neighbor to people who are struggling and hurting and in need in our world. First suggestion is this. Keep an open mind to the possibility that God might have actually put that person in your path so that you would see them and help them. I I believe this, don't you? Sometimes God puts people in our path. I don't know if the Samaritan thought that, but clearly when the Samaritan was walking down the path and saw this guy, the guy was in his path and he felt compelled to help him. I think sometimes thinking in terms that, that God might put people or circumstances in our path in life because He knows we, we have the ability to help them. That can be a good thing. you got, you got to be open to the possibility. And it, it may not always be money. It might be uh, an encouraging word, a phone call. It might be a consistent prayer for somebody. But, but to find a way to help, to be a good neighbor means I'm willing to be inconvenienced for somebody else. To be a good neighbor means I'm open to the Holy Spirit to lead me to be obedient in responding to someone's great need. I think about the the refugee family from the Congo that we've been helping over the past eight years. It was about eight years ago, we they came across our path. And it was really kind of interesting. There was, there was a, a public school teacher who was a member of our church who was tutoring a family in a low-income housing area in Fredericksburg. And she'd go a couple evenings a week to help tutor a couple kids in this family. And they began telling her, about the family that had moved in next door. Really large family. Had just been brought over from a, a, been released from a a refugee camp in the Congo. And this was a a large family, lots of kids. 
They didn't speak the language. Uh, they didn't speak English. They, they didn't have food. They didn't have anything in their house. No furniture, no nothing. So this, this teacher went over and kind of took a look to see what was going on. She, she decided that she would explore and do a little investigative work and find out what was really happening. And what had happened was uh, Catholic Charities had brought this family over and put them in this apartment house, townhouse kind of thing, much too small for this large family, but put them there. And uh, no offense to Catholic Charities, they do a lot of great work, but they just kind of dropped them. Uh, we contacted Catholic Charities, say, what about this family? And they said, well, we bring them over, and then some other agency picks them up. Well, the other agency didn't pick them up. And so this teacher asked our church to help them. And so for the past eight years, we've provided tens of thousands of dollars in support, countless hours of volunteer support. Uh, we, we've helped this, the members of this family learn the language. We've got them uh, better housing. We've gotten them transportation. We've tutored the children in school. Uh, for the first couple of years, we'd go down and pick them up in a, in a van and bring them here to church to worship with us. Uh, since that time, we, we found a church right in their community that worships in their African style that they prefer, that we, we've kind of got them acclimated there. It's been an up-and-down road for eight years. It's been a lot of work. But we had a team put together. And we've been very intentional and very strategic about how we help them. Now, uh, most of the, the young men who were uh, underage when they got here uh, have grown, and they're adults now. They all have full-time jobs. One of them has a wife and a child and doing real well. Uh, one of the boys who was younger when he came here just uh, graduated from high school. This, this spring, and he's going off to college this fall on a full scholarship. Uh, a couple of the, the children are still younger. They're still in school. They're in the, on the honor roll. They're doing so well, in large part thanks to the volunteer tutors in this church who go and work with them a couple days a week. They have a, a, a car that we uh, got for them. They have health care. They, they have a support structure around them. And two months ago, they went down to Richmond and took their vows to become full American citizens. And we still are looking to continue to support and encourage these folks. But see, that's the kind of effort it takes. And that effort came about because we were open to the possibility that God had placed this family in our path, and we couldn't just drop off a couple bucks and walk away. We had to do something. And that something had to be thoughtful and strategic and long-term I think God puts people on our path that way. And we don't see those people as problems. We see them as our neighbor. And we don't say, let the government handle it. That's why we pay taxes. We say, God, what do you want me to do to be part of the solution? What do you want me to do to be a good neighbor? So here's my encouragement for you this week. Here's, here's how you respond to this sermon and the story of Jesus. When you get up every morning this week, just pray, God... Help me to have eyes to see the people you place in my path. And help me to discern by the power of your Holy Spirit how best I can help them and make a difference in their life. Here's the second thing we can do. Invest in agencies and organizations with a track record of really helping people. And there are some well-run, smart, strategic, long-term organizations and agencies out there. You know, in, in the story, the Samaritan took this guy to an inn. They didn't have hospitals back in those days. He took a guy to an inn and uh, used the inn as a, as a 
as a staging ground to help this guy. There are organizations and agencies that do that kind of work today. If you got our church newsletter, you probably read this week how in the past couple months we've given over $750,000 to several organizations and agencies that we believe in here at Ebenezer. We're, we're not just giving them the money, we're investing in these organizations and agencies because we've partnered with them, uh, some of them for many years, to make sure that they're doing the kind of work that makes a real difference in people's lives. And we do that because we understand the difference that can be made when you take an organization or agency that is thinking strategically, that's offering a hand up, not just a hand out, that is, that is helping lift people out of poverty and out of despair into a, a new place where they can live differently. And it's not just organizations that, that our church supports. My wife and I, we, my wife and I support our church, of course. Uh, we think Ebenezer is a great place to invest resources because we see all the good that gets done here. But in addition to that, we have several organizations and agencies that we give to. One that you might want to explore is called Kiva, K-I-V-A. In fact, you might want to write that down in your little book and check it out online. Kiva allows you to become a venture capitalist. You get to give micro-loans to entrepreneurs in third world countries trying to start up a business uh, to meet the needs of their family. And for a small amount, you make a, make a loan, and uh, they use it to buy supplies for their business. And, and at, slowly over time, they, they pay back that loan. But the loan doesn't come back to you. The loan then gets uh, given out to somebody else, another entrepreneur. Over the years, my wife and I have been able to support 14 different entrepreneurs in third world countries to help them get businesses started for their family. And only one of them has failed to repay it, the loan. Everybody else has been able to do it. And there's organizations like Charity Water and Heifer International, International Justice Mission, another really great uh, organization that helps rescue uh, young girls from sex slavery, which is very prominent in some countries. But here's the deal. Find organizations. Do the homework. Do the extra legwork to find organizations and agencies that are truly making a difference. Right? When Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, He doesn't answer all the questions for us. But He does give us His expectation. And His expectation is we will do what we can do to figure it out and to do it well. That we'll combine a tender heart with a strategic mind. And make a difference in the lives of those around us. You know, the third way we can apply this truth to our life is to think about what Jesus has done for us. To think about how, in a way, Jesus is the ultimate Good Samaritan. How you and I were in a ditch in our lives because of sin, disobedience. And Jesus came along and saw us in the condition we were in and was willing to go to the cross to die for us, to reconcile us to God, to give us this gift of eternal life so that we would begin to see God differently, see ourselves differently, and see others differently. And we would begin to understand that the purpose of your life and my life is not to see how comfortable I can be, but to see how helpful I can be. The purpose of your life and my life is not to see how comfortable I can be, but to see how helpful and useful I can be with the resources God has entrusted to me. And I'm telling you, friends, with fires and floods and famines and wars, with divorce and disease and poverty, there will always be opportunities to see the person in the ditch and to learn to love our neighbor as ourself. We can't solve all the problems, 
But we can't allow what we can't do to stop us from doing what we can do. So let's love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let's learn to love our neighbor as ourself. Let's combine a tender heart with a strategic mind. Because there are a lot of people in a ditch. And walking around on the other side and ignoring them is not an option. Never has been. Never will be.